started a series last week. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. And, uh, okay, some people, some people talk funny. And so maybe this series could be labeled, it's not that serious. It's not that serious. You know, I'm going to start a hashtag. You know, I'm trying to get into like the whole social media thing. I want to do hashtag not that serious. Um, if, if, if we could do that, you think that it'll take off? <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, when it comes to circumstances of life, when it comes to circumstances of life, we all need to have the proper perspective. We need to have the proper perspective. And that's why I love the Bible. Because the Bible can serve for us as a gauge, as a scale onto how to measure things. Paul, Paul, in fact, said that the law became our schoolmaster. It became our tutor, our teacher. And so the word is our teacher and it's our scale. And so when we want to compare things in life, we, we want to see them in the light of Scripture, in the light of the Word of God. And if we turn to the Bible... It will guide us, and it will not allow us to drown in a cup of water. We, we won't be making mountains out of small little molehills if we keep the proper perspective. Sometimes we, we become so overwhelmed with the circumstance of life. Because it's our mountain, it's right in front of us. And we were just talking about that this morning. Because it's right in front of us, we're standing in front of this mountain, it's huge. We don't see anything else but. And if we learn to discipline ourselves, to take the time to step away from it, step away from it, every time we, we create distance, the smaller it becomes. And the greater the kingdom of God becomes. So we're going to be learning about what to look at, and we're going to go into the seven points that the Lord brought to me in regards to this message. It's not that serious. We take life way too serious. Sometimes, sometimes, it's not that serious. How do we gain our proper perspectives? And so the scripture that the Lord brought me to is taken out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you would turn your Bibles and your devices, version app, whatever you got, if we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. And it's up on the board um, if, you don't, if you don't have your... Shame on you if you don't have your... No, let me stop. <laughs> Everybody's got it on iPad now. <laughs> um, therefore, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though... Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. 
It is inerrant. It is infallible, Lord Father God. It is our authority. And so, Lord God, we understand that we, can, we cannot comprehend these spiritual things with a carnal mind. And so I ask right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would open up our minds and open up our eyes and open up our hearts and our ears to understand and receive spiritual application, O oh God. Grow us, increase us, I pray, right now through your word and in the name of Jesus and all of God's people say Amen and amen. So this was a seven-point. I know most preachers got a three-point outline. I got a seven-point outline. How about that? First point, we covered it last week. Stay the course. Stay the course. Do not lose heart. And so the verbiage, the vernacular there is, is don't have a heart attack. Do not faint or give up no matter how difficult the path appears to be stay the course so point one stay the course yeah but i got so many distractions i got so many things coming at me stay the course no matter how bad the storm is it is the pilot the, the the captain of the ship that has to keep that ship pointed in a certain direction no matter how the waves come and no matter how it brings it it's his job to keep that ship and to stay the course so so the first encouragement the first admonition no matter what's taking place know your destination know your destiny plot that course and stay the course the second point that we covered last week was eternal weight for the eternal weight of glory verse 17 states for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory and so we spoke kind of about this light affliction right and we're going to go into a little deeper um today but basically if we're looking at life in in the light of eternal glory how insignificant does our circumstances begin to appear? Everything that you can go through in life will pale, will pale in comparison to eternity, to the kingdom of God. So what you're going through right now can be so overwhelming. But if you discipline yourself to take a step back from it and measure it in comparison to eternity, you realize Man, this is pretty insignificant. I can handle this. God's got a solution for it. I may not know it. I may not be in it. And I don't even have to feel it right now. But God, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to measure this. It's only but for a moment. Light afflictions. And we spoke about light afflictions being just that, right? Not that heavy. Burdensome. But it could be manageable. I, I can kind of compared it to like the common cold. But um, I, I, was given, I was given a reminder of what may be a, a, a light affliction. I got two illustrations to cover this point. The first one was with my daughter. I asked her for permission, right, Hannah? I said, Hannah, can I, can I share this? <laughs> so, so Hannah has been doing this media thing um, for like the past year. 
And so, you know, she's responsible for the words and the lyrics to come up on the board. And she has felt the pressures of life of knowing what it is to be part of a team. And so when a team is, 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 is basically, you know, confiding in you, trusting in you, counting on you to have something and be somewhere at a certain time, and then it's not there, where's the team looking at? Who's, who's ultimate responsible? Hannah. Hannah, where are the lyrics? Hannah, come on. Like, I don't even know the next stanza. And so now people look at Hannah and she's responsible. But poor Hannah, who's got to carry, who's got to hold it down. Because it's not Hannah's fault. Hannah's got a computer and she's got to deal with technology. And Wi-Fi is only so fast. So things, the computer locks up and it freezes up. How many people have been frustrated with a computer that freezes up and locks up? Now imagine that frustration and, and couple that with the pressure of five, six people that are looking towards you and saying, I love, I bendito. Oh, the affliction of life on a teenager. <laughs> she has felt it. She has felt it, and I understand it. Like, like, oh my goodness, she was ready to just walk out the door and give up. She almost lost heart. And the Bible says, therefore, do not lose heart. Because it's just for a moment, right? In about another hour and a half, two hours, that you're done with the obligation, and you're going to go. And whether, whether it ran smoothly or not, after two and a half hours, it's really not going to matter because the event is over. It's only but for a moment. I had, I had, Thursday was a day for me. Praise God. <laughs> so Thursday, I wake up, you know, and I'm up at 4.30 in the morning getting ready to go to the gym. And I go and I work out. And it started to be a nice day. And at about 6.45 in the morning, I got my boss calling me about a situation of a job I sold. And uh, it was a residential flat roof and for a 15-year warranty. And I made a mistake. The, the original proposal that I wrote up, you know, I use a template. And so uh, most commercial properties come with a 20-year warranty. This was a residential. It comes with a 15-year warranty. And because I used the template, all of us, you know, I had the 20-year warranty verbiage in the proposal, the original proposal. Well, we had a couple of revisions that came after that, an actual contract. And it was on or about the same time that we went on vacation, this is when I sold the job. So the job was actually sold after I went on vacation. And the contract was never sent to the guy. And so we didn't have a signature on that 15-year warranty. And so we were, my boss called me screaming and hollering and complaining and putting the pressure on me that, oh, my goodness, you know, it's a 20-year warranty. Now we're not going to get a check. He's going to hold back the payment, blah, 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 blah. And it's all my fault. Who wants to start their day out like that? Like, I got to deal with this nonsense. And the fact of the matter is, because I'm a project manager and I sold a job that I really understand for a thousand square foot roof, a little residential job at about a nickel a square foot. What are we talking about? 50 bucks, 60 bucks? Like, you're giving me this amount of slack for like 50 bucks. Really? Like, like just call up the manufacturer, give them a 20 year warranty and just send. But, but that, it didn't stop there. Now I got to deal with him in a bad yeah, I go up onto the job. Oh, I go, I go onto the job. We get on the roof. He's power washing the roof. It's not coming off. I got to go get the, the cleaner. I'm coming back. And all the time I'm saying, Lord, let your peace be with me, oh Lord. And so I'm saying, 
and, and, and so the, the, the power washer, we're on the roof and it, and it shuts off and I go to turn the power washer on and I'm pulling on the ripcord and the thing's frustrating. I put my hand on top of the power washer. Hallelujah. Jesus, oh my God. I mean, it's an engine. I put my hand on a hot engine. My thumb started to blister. I'm talking about this was a, I'm a second degree burn. I had a second degree burn. It's blistering up. And I'm like, and you know, I'm trying to be a man on the roof. (laughs) Hey, yo, Rob, you're right. I'm fine. Praise you, Lord God. Okay, so we're going to do this. I want you guys to do that. Once you're done there, get the safety flags, wrap it up. And I ran to my car to my first aid kit. And I'm saying, Lord God, I don't know what happened today. But I'm just thanking you. And I put some ointment on. And I grabbed an ice pack. And I wrap it around. And I run home. And I, you know, like, you know, I left the guys working. I I, I get home. And I, I, I get into the house. And toothpaste. How many know toothpaste on burns, right? Toothpaste on burns. Great. So I'm praying over the second degree burn. It's one big blister. And I see it wants to pop. It wants to be a water. And I'm praying, God, just I'm trusting in you. Whatever is taking place throughout this day, I know that you're molding me and shaping me and guiding me to something. And so I've come to a place in my life that I know not to, not, not, not to get pissy with the Lord because I got a flat tire. I don't know what you just you know, evaded me from like, you know, your blessings are your blessings. And I know that you're guiding me. Um, so I put the toothpaste on and I got to run to the office and I run out of the house and Oscar and Yasmin are leaving. And as they're leaving the house, I'm coming out. I'm like, Hey, I locked the keys inside the house. I got no car keys. I got no house keys. I'm looking at Yasmin and Oscar and I'm like, it's just one of those days. bro. It's, how many people have ever had one of those days, man? Come on. It's just boom, 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 boom. I literally took that moment, right, Oscar? I took that moment, just that brief moment I was in front of us. It's burdensome, but it's not unmanageable, you know? Where's my wallet? Okay, at least I could get into my car. I could get my wallet. I got a credit card, and I can get the door open. It's not that serious. But if you allow the compound of little things to add and add and add and add, next thing you know, we blow up on the most insignificant, stupid little, and we've allowed it to grab a hold of us. Let's measure it in in light of the eternal glory. And these are our light afflictions. These are light afflictions. I, I, I want to go back and look at Paul a little bit before we move on. And, 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 and I want to see what he called his light affliction. So if we went into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 33, Paul gives us, Paul gives us a little bit of a synopsis, a little historical background of some of the things that he went through. And he said, are, are there ministers of Christ? I speak of as a fool. I am more. 
in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. My deep concern, my concern, this is what he cares about. In face of all of that, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which confirm my infirmity. The God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city. The, 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 the uh, Damascians with a garrison desiring to arrest me but i was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped from his hands those were his light afflictions that's what he's calling his temporary light afflictions things that just happened but they were just for a moment but look at what he endured and if we hold our lives to, to that scale, where do we measure in regards to our afflictions? Are your afflictions light or are they heavy? Verse 17 says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Check this out. Is working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There, there you see that E again. It's the eternal weight of glory. You know, so many of us fight God and he's trying to shape us. It's God trying to shape us. Come on, tell someone. Your affliction is God's tool. Your affliction is God's tool. So often we're fighting the hand of God rather than saying, God, if you've got to purge my life, if you've got to remove some things, I'm trusting you to fill some things. If you've got to change something up, you're going to do that for my betterment because I'm a child of obedience. I'm seeking your face. I'm seeking your word. I want to apply you into every arena of my life. And as long as I'm able to do that, I've got the confidence that daddy knows best. You have my best interest at heart. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. So we measure it in the eternal weight of glory. Because Romans 8.28 says, and we can take this to the bank. My life verse. And we know that all things, the good and the bad, are all working together for good to those who love God. To the ones that are called according to his purpose. And that brings us into point number three this morning. This is the new one. Huh? 
renewed. Renewed. Another word for renewal is also regeneration. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. How many people know that the outward man is perishing? I mean, come on. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. We're here before, for a temporary time. We don't even know how much time we're here for. But we know that we are decaying. Eventually, this body is going to grow old and it's going to go into the dust and it's going to be eaten up by the maggots and from dust to dust, we shall return. That's the body. It's the physical nature. You can't avoid the inevitable. We are all dying. And this is a reality that we have to confront. Forget about that. It's not, it's not a, we shouldn't worry about dying. We should be worried about how we living. Everybody's so concerned about dying. Man, why don't you get concerned about how you living? Get to living right. With a clear conscience, with knowing that you're not doing any wrong, that there's a sense of integrity, character, righteousness that comes within you. The things that you're doing, that you're doing with, with, with eternity in sight, the legacy that you're leaving behind, the things that you're building for your children and for your families, that this can then be something that becomes generational. God isn't a God just he wants to bless you to bless you. He wants you to bless you so that you can be a blessing unto others. God is generational. He's a generational God. And so he wants us, the outward man, we got to recognize is already dying. Why are we so concerned about it? We ought to be concerned about the renewal of the inward man. And I love uh, J.I. Packer. Packer. Um, he wrote a great book, Knowing God. He wrote, regeneration is the spiritual change wrought in the heart of man. By the Holy Spirit in which his or her inherent nature, sinful nature is changed, transformed, that he or she can respond to God in faith and to live in accordance with his will. This is what the Bible means when it says no one comes near unless the Holy Spirit draws him near. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that by faith can bring out a change within their soul. They have to believe. They have to hear the message and believe that there is a God who is actively involved in the lives of his people. That, that the sin nature that we have can be eradicated and forgiven. This is how we're saved. This is what it is to be born again. And there we have that phase, that born again. What are you? Are you, are you one of those born agains? Are you one of those, you know, born again Christians? As if like born again is some sort of a denomination or some sort of a religion or sect or, you know, some sort of cult. You know, are you, what are you, one of those born agains? But if we read the scriptures, you know, and we read Jesus's words directly, we understand where this, you know, we coined that phase from Christ himself. In the gospel according to John in the third chapter, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus said and answered him, most assuredly I say to you, letters are in red, this is Jesus speaking, unless, Jesus said, one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, you know, carnal minded, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's a legitimate question, right? But Jesus answered him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's this born of water stuff. One has to first be born of water. What's that about? Some people want to talk about baptism and and being baptized. That's not what that means there. That's not the fleshy birth. The fleshy birth, when a woman is getting ready, Yasmin, you're going to know you're ready to drop that thing. Baby, come. When? When your water breaks, right? One has first be born of water, the amniotic sac. You're, you're, you're born a physical birth. The water breaking and a baby coming forth is a physical birth that's coming out. You first have to be born of water. But we know that the physical birth that's coming through is also in what type of nature? Sinful nature. We inherit that. That's like diabetes. That comes down generationally. We are born with a sinful nature. The disobedience and rebellious. You know, a kid starts hitting those terrible tools. They call them terrible tools for a reason. You tell a kid no more than you tell him yes. Why? He's got this rebellious nature. Don't touch that stove. Stop, don't do that, don't do that. You, you're telling the kid, no, don't, don't, no, 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 what, no, don't, what? Because that nature is within. It's a physical nature. We were born in sin. We're conceived in what's called original sin. And so we're born in the flesh and we're born with the sinful nature. And can, can sin have communion with God? No. No. So we're born this physical birth that is in direct rebellion against God. And so what we need to do is once we've had this physical birth is that we need to have a spiritual birth. That the spirit man, the soul man inside of you is now brought up alive, is awakened. That awakening of the spiritual nature can only come with the eradication of sin of your life. That's why when we come to the message of the cross that the blood of Jesus appropriated upon us releases us of the debt that we owe because of our sin and brings us into right relationship with the Father where we can now have communion that my spirit man is now awoken and his eyes are open and no longer do I look at the world the way I used to look at and desire the things that I used to desire but that now I have become transformed from the inside out desiring to do good and instead of evil to do righteousness instead of wickedness that transformation isn't following the list of do's and don'ts that transformation is a move an act of god's will inside of us through his holy spirit hallelujah titus titus wrote it like this in three five Not by works, not by your good deeds, not by how much money you can put in the box. No, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
So our third point is the renewal, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to the second point. Because where does that renewal and regeneration take it happen? Where does it take place? In the inward man. The inward man. So that's our next point, is the inward man. Did you hear that? That's terrible. Sorry. It's being recorded. J.I. Packard has continued to speak or to write, and he says that it extends to the whole nature of man, not just a part of his nature, but his whole nature, even the physical part, altering his governing disposition. How does a man decide for himself in his mind? So, so it extends to the whole nature of man, altering his governing disposition, illuminating his mind, freeing his will, and renewing his nature, even his physical nature. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I love seeing, you know, God's manifested presence inside the lives of those that open up their hearts to him. I, that's why I love the, the street ministry. That's why I love, you know, uh, uh, um, the prison ministry is because, you know, to see a, a, a hell-bound sinner, someone who is so jaded, so calloused, so hard, cold, right, and, and, and become soft into the things of the Holy Spirit, to the things of God. They hear the message of the gospel and the transformation begins to take place inside of them. And when you see that transformation and you can see a person who's been afflicted by drug addiction and by abuse and, and by, you know, just all of the things that the lifestyle, breaking night and going through and, and how, you know, how skinny, sometimes dirty, the, the dirt be, behind the nails and, and the ojeros and dark eyes and, and, and just the whole, you know, just this disposition when God begins to mold them and shape them and clean them and breathe life into them, come on. And when dead bones come to life and you see just the whole, you know, you see him a few weeks into this whole process of walking this and applying this. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, their, their, their whole physical nature changes. They're, they're, they're up. They're clean. They've put some weight on them. They're, they're happy. They've got a glow. And, and you see that transformation, even the physical nature that is corrupting, that is decaying, that is dying, even that becomes transformed in the power of God. The inward man. The inward man. Regeneration or new birth, this is J.I. Packer, is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the gracious sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. The Bible conceives salvation as the redemptive renewal of man on the basis of a restored relationship with God in Christ and present it as an involving a radical and complete transformation wrought in the soul. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in the same chapter, in the fifth chapter, says, Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is a 
new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things, all things have now become new. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were driving a 97 Buick before you got saved, and now after you got saved, do you get the upgrade? Huh? (laughs) If you pay for the upgrade, you could get it. But if you were driving a 97 Buick before Jesus, guess what? Nine out of ten times, you'll be driving a 97 Buick after Jesus. What do you mean, behold, old things have passed away, and behold, old things are made new? What do you mean this newness? It's all on how you perceive it. See, because I can use my little 97 Buick as my little hoopty, my rupt-rupt, and I abuse it and not care for it too much and, and, and misuse it. And if nine out of ten times, I'm going to tell you, you're, if you're in the world, that means that if you're out there, you're going to have some tickets. You're going to have some things, and there may be some disdain that you have towards that 97 Buick. Kick it on the hubcap, right? But now all of a sudden, you get saved. And all of a sudden, there's gratitude in your heart. And you realize that, man, you don't even really deserve to be driving that 97 music. But what a, what a beautiful gift of God that you even have that opportunity. Now, all of a sudden, you begin to value that 97 Buick. You take it to the car wash, and you put some little armor roll on those tires, and you get some of that smell-good spray inside. And that 97 Buick starts all of a sudden looking like a something-something. Has it become new? In your perception, it has. Because you're looking at it through a new lens. And so oftentimes, I got want to challenge you that the newness that we come into the life in Christ isn't that he changed everything, it's that he changed us. And because we are changed, everything in life has changed. Whew. To be born again. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, the desires of that flesh. And he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's the inward man. We move on to the things that we're looking at. Our perceptions are changed. Huh? The way we perceive things, the way we observe them, change. There's a newness now. I don't look at rainy days the way I used to look at rainy days. Rainy days, now I'm able to see the sun shining through the rain. Huh? God makes that move and transforms us from inside. The work of the Holy Spirit rotting that work inside the inner man changes the way you perceive things. And so the next point that I want to discuss is our observation. Observations. What are we looking at? In a face of a crisis, where do you look? Who's your automatic go-to when you need help? Where do you go? I don't know. Can I be a little transparent this morning? Huh? Can, can, can I tell you where I go? I go to me. 
I'm a do it kind of guy. I'm a roll up your sleeve. I, one of, one of, one of my defects of character as a leader is that I, I'm, I'm really hands on. And sometimes I have a hard time, you know, just kind of like delegating and, and releasing things to people because I'm used to just getting things done on my own. But if I want to be an effective project manager, if I want to be an effective leader, I have to learn how to just, you know, begin to release things. But when I'm in a crisis, when the things happen, the first person that I really rely upon is me. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to handle it? I may even make a phone call. And, and, and when something becomes too big for me, when I can't handle it and when I haven't figured it out, you know who my, my general, my second go-to person is? My wife. Eunice. That's my ride or die. She ain't even here to hear that. Thank God. Hallelujah. <laughs> she's, she's, she's my get her done. You know, she's no nonsense. You know her. Heart of gold, man. Ride or die. Loyal to the end. Like, I mean, we'll confront whatever life throws at her. So where do I go when I need some strength? Why is it that it seems that we always turn to God as a last resort? Become kingdom-minded under the pressures of life. But when all is gravy and life is, is, is cool and, and the sun is in the air and you could just smell and things are just, you know, do, why is it that we can't turn to God then? Why do we look at the circumstances of life as greater than our God? Why is it that the crisis that we confront, we see it as greater than his kingdom? observation what we look at makes all the difference in the world as to how we respond verse 18 says while we do not look at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen well those are eternal but pastor, what happens if I lose sight of that? What happens when my problem is so big, is bigger than my spiritual vision? What happens then? And those are good, legitimate questions. We become so emotionally attached to the problem that the problem becomes so big that we're not looking at it objectively. We're looking at it because our heart is involved in it. And when our heart is involved, God says that your heart is what? Desperately wicked. Above all things, your heart will deceive you. Well, why did you do that? Because I felt like doing it. My heart. my Your heart. Your heart will deceive you if it's not in submission to God. Your will has to be in submission to God. Around 700 BC, after about a half a century of increasing power and prosperity between both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, aka the northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom that was divided was Judah, and so at around 700 BC, you know, uh, um, Israel was divided into into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and right around that time, you know, both kingdoms prosperity power life is good and how many people know that when life is good we often have a tendency of stepping away from the kingdom 
and Israel fell into pagan worship. Huh? The northern kingdom fell into this pagan worship. They were all into it. Judah, the southern kingdom, well, they maintained this outward religious practice, right? They go to church and they did their thing, but they fell into a deep moral decline. Moral decline. What, what, what did that look like? Well, they, they, they allowed secret places of worship to be tolerated. And before we become very accusatory and very judgmental, I want to ask us as a church, where are places that maybe we have set up as secret places of idol worship? Huh? When we go into the bathroom, maybe we spend a little more time in it because we're on our devices. What's taken us away from, 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 from really spending time with God and allowing it to distract us in, in the things that we do in the bedroom watching the television? I mean, the television. All of these programs. I mean, it could be good depending on your watching, but you know, the majority of people, they're not sitting there watching, you know, just TD Jakes and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, come on, there's a lot of programs and shows and Netflix and what you're watching. And, and what are some of the things that is really coming in to our eyes and into our ears? What have we allowed? What are we tolerating in the sake of inclusion, in the sake of peace? Secret places of worship being tolerated. The wealthy oppressed the poor. Poverty. It's a mindset. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a situation. It's not a circumstance. It's a mindset. Keeping people in a mindset by giving them stuff rather than teaching them how to rise above their situation, we are contributing into the mindset of poverty. I don't want to be a church to you know just go out and, and, and give a free meal and feed somebody for a day and God bless you and warm your belly. You need a jacket. There you go. Have a good day. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Come on. Come sit down. What's going on in your life? Let's 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 put some things. What are we what are you looking at in regards to your budget? What's coming in? What kind of resources are you getting? What kind of help? Social services, EBT cards, you get X amount in food. We begin to manage, we begin to teach, we begin to guide. You give a person a fish and you fed them for the day, but you teach them how to fish. And now you've given them something that's for a lifetime. They can defend themselves. The wealthy oppress the poor. And often, we don't realize it, but a lot of times by us giving stuff away for free, we're actually supporting the mindset of poverty. Women neglecting their families in search of carnal pleasures. This is, I'm talking about, this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. I'm going back about 3,000 years. This is where Judah was in their kingdom. Rather than being fruitful and multiplying, they abandoned the frustrations of relationships with men. Hmm. They want to go Netflix and chill with their bestie. Just come on. Giving up the natural design of our bodies to pursue the carnal desires. And we burn with passion. For things that are not of God. Priests and prophets that became men pleasers. Come on, I, I hold myself in, 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 in the strictest of lights when I stand before you and I preach the counsel of God. 
there are a lot of preachers, there's a lot of ministers that take the word of God and they begin to, to mold it and shape it and change it to, to fit their denomination, to fit their ideology so that then they can begin to mind and control. But it says that we ought to pull, preach the full counsel of God. And that very thing that I just stated in regards to where, where we are with our natural, how we are submitting unto God. Trust me, look, there is no sin that is greater than the other sin. But we've got to be able to call sin, sin. If it goes against God, it is sinful. And, and it's no different than the person who's making a white lie to the businessman who's maybe bringing forth larceny or, 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 or tax evasion for Uncle Sam. Just as per, the person whose drug addiction has led them to a place of self-mutilation and self-abuse. These are all things and actions that come out of us that come from a sinful nature. And how many people know that God loves the sinner? Wants to see him delivered and made whole and, and released of the oppressions and the weights that we put on ourselves. And to be made whole. And so what do the people do? They raise for themselves a preacher, a teacher that will tickle their ear and, and speak words that will appease them. To please them. And in so doing, oftentimes, they wind up lining their own pockets. You know, um, I'm, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. There's a nature inside of me that I'm always battling and fighting. There's a part of me that always wants, you know, the, the easy way out. I want to find the shortcut, the path of least resistance. But sometimes God's just calling us and telling us, man, we got to put some work into this. We got to roll up our sleeves and, and take a good look upon ourselves and, and, and be, be laid bare before God. God, you know the desire that's inside of me. Uh, it's the way I am. Um, I read your word and I understand that according to your word, this is something that is in rebellion against you. And so I'm asking you, God, to, to, to fix this issue. I can't fix myself, but if you can fix me, Lord, if you can guide me and mold me and what the, th what the things that this world has taught me, if you can reteach me according to your design as to why you created me, that the purpose of which the life that you placed inside of me, that you can make that and give me a clear vision that I can then point my ship in that direction and that I may stay the course. God, let your truth reign and let every man be labeled a liar. It was clear to Isaiah, as it should be to us, that God's judgment was coming. Captivity will be inevitable. It was true then and it's true now. And when, when you lose sight, when you lose sight of the spiritual kingdom and the spiritual things and you want to turn around and, and you don't know what to look at, where to put your eyesight for help, where can you get some counsel? Isaiah gives us in the 40th chapter an inclination. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, 
Not one of them is missing. Look upon creation. When you get so lost and you're in yourself and in, you may be in your brokenness, you may be in your own head and you know you got to get out of that and you may not know how to even handle this situation and you want to think about heavenly things but you just can't even get yourself to that point. What Isaiah said is look upon creation, look at the heavens and look at the stars and look at the complex, the complexities of this universe and you think about the God that created all of that and breathed it into us. And allow all of creation to sing a song. Romans 1.20, Paul wrote, For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. When we look at, his, at creation and its complexities, that these are his invisible attributes, that when we look at creation, we can see his design, that we can see his purpose. It's an ecosystem. It's a biological system. Things transfer in regards to how water becomes evaporated and into the clouds and how the clouds filter it and cycle it and then brings it down upon us as rain that is then able to give water and nurture to the uh, uh, fruit and to the vegetables that grow all around. When we look upon that, we are clearly seeing his attributes. So that we are what? Without excuse. In looking at the created world, every person should be able to observe evidence of God's existence and power. And God is bigger than your issues. God is bigger than your carnal desires. God is bigger than that thing that is in your life. So remember, it's not that serious. Don't look at the thing. Look at the king. Hallelujah. Don't look at the thing. Look at your king. And when you look at him, it's going to bring everything back into its proper perspective. And it gives you the roadways and the boundaries of how to conduct your life. Next week, we're going to be finishing up the next two points on the seven-point series. It's not that serious. And we're going to be stepping into the spiritual realm. So um, I hope you look forward to that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning, church? 